I'm really excited about this. David is a great friend, and uh, he's a graduate of UNC, and he's been a part of the church since he, there we go, he's a part of the church since he was a student. Um, and as a matter of fact, if my memory is not failing me, David, you walked up on our very first outdoor service we ever had, and that's where we met for the very first time. Awesome. And um, David was part of a core group of college students who in our first year really helped set the tone for uh, the DNA of our church. And we're very grateful for him and the others who were a part of that group. Uh, David is an English teacher at uh, Northern High School in Durham. And yeah, exactly. And uh, so we're just really proud of him, proud of the work that he has done. He's, he's done a lot of work with our friend CEF um, in, in undergrad. He helped lead a group called Hope and um, just an incredible heart, incredible mind. And we're all going to be blessed uh, by hearing him teach the word this morning. Let's, let's start by, by praying. Father God, I pray that you would be deeply, deeply present here now. As we just say in that song, your glory, your presence, your heart is what we're longing for. We pray that we would just be overcome and overwhelmed by that. You would you would flood this place. You would drench us in you. Help us to be aware of you being here. Help us to, to know and feel and see in a new way you living and working right here within us. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing to you, God. Do with this time what you want. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, this summer, uh, we have been talking about the Holy Spirit. Um, and throughout our discussions, I actually haven't been here in a few weeks, but I've been listening to, to the podcast. Uh, throughout our discussions, I think that there are a couple of, of common elements that have emerged. Uh, every time that we see the Spirit show up, whenever we see the Spirit at work, two things always seem to be the result transformation and fruit bearing. Transformation and fruit bearing. This is what the Spirit is about. Uh, If we go all the way back to Genesis, we see the Spirit of God hovering over the waters of the earth. And the Spirit transforms this sort of uncreated, dark shapelessness into something beautiful and alive. The Spirit brings forth life out of the water and vegetation out of the earth so that the planet can bear fruit plants and animals, and eventually us. Uh, Further on in the Bible, which we talked about a a couple weeks ago, we see in the book of Ezekiel, we we looked at two images of the Spirit at work uh, in that book a couple weeks ago. The first was the Spirit breathing life into these dry and dusty bones, transforming them into living creatures. And then later in the book of Ezekiel, the Spirit is depicted as this river that flows out of Jerusalem. And this river is so full of life that when it hits the Dead Sea and the desert around it, it just brings everything to life. It transforms it, and these fruit trees spring up out of the banks of the Dead Sea. Uh, About a month ago at Pentecost, we talked about that moment where the Spirit kind of first descends on the early church. And in that moment, we see the disciples transformed 
from this group of, of, of cowering, kind of scared fishermen into bold spokespeople, witnesses to what they have seen and heard. And the fruit of that transformation is that 3,000 people are added to the church in a single day. Uh, recently, we talked about the book of Galatians, where we see Paul describing the fruit of the Spirit, these really specific ways that the Spirit transforms us and develops in us these qualities that then pour out to affect the world around us. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, transformation, and fruit-bearing. This is what the Spirit does. This is what the Spirit is about. And I want that. Don't you? I want to be more than what I am today. I want to be more loving, more gentle, more joyful, more good. I want to be more alive than I am right now. I want to bear fruit. I want my life to matter, to make a difference. I want to see situations around me transform. I want to see my little corner of the world look more like the kingdom of God. I want that. We want that. But how do, how do we get it? How do we go about making it happen? We know what the results of the Spirit's work look like, but what is the process? How do we actually bear fruit? This is something that I spend a lot of time, maybe, maybe even too much time, thinking and, and worrying about. I spend a lot of time sort of asking myself, am I really where God wants me to be? Am I living out my calling or did I miss it somewhere along the way? Am I growing? Am I doing enough, serving enough, changing enough, sacrificing enough? I want to live and walk and work in the Spirit, but I'm not always sure how. I want transformation and fruit-bearing, but how do I get it? Today I want to look at, at, at three images, three, three sort of stories, three metaphors that Jesus gives us that I think are a picture of the way uh, that, that Jesus believes the Spirit works in all of our lives. Now, uh, none of these passages actually say the words Holy Spirit. But I think uh, from what Jesus is saying here and what he says elsewhere in the New Testament, it is that process of, of the Spirit transforming us and bearing fruit in us uh, that Jesus has in mind. So uh, we're going to look at these three stories. I'm just going to go kind of straight through all of them, all three in a row. Uh, they're short. And then we're going to come back and talk about uh, what it is that they have in common, what it is that Jesus seems to be trying to say to us. So uh, the first story comes from Mark chapter 4. Uh, this starts in verse 26, and it'll be up on the screen. So uh, Jesus is, is telling a parable. He told a lot of these, these, these stories and metaphors that gave people pictures of the kingdom. And so he says to the people who are gathered around him, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. So that's first, story about crops. Second, we're going to look at a, at a passage in John chapter 4. Now, some of you might recognize this. this. This passage in John chapter 4 is usually known as the story of the woman at the well. 
Um, and we're not really going to look at the whole story. We're just going to look at, at, at one, uh, one little exchange of dialogue between Jesus and this woman. So uh, this starts at John chapter 4, verse 10. Um, Jesus has come up to this woman and he's asked her to get a drink from the well. Uh, and the woman's kind of like, well, what are you even doing talking to me? You're a Jewish man. I'm a Samaritan woman. I'm different than you. Your people don't really talk to my people, don't really associate with my people. Uh, and Jesus' immediate response to that, he says, uh, it says, Jesus answered her to this woman, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So the first story was crops. The second story is about a spring. The third story we're going to look at is about a vine. This comes also from the book of John a little bit later in John chapter 15. This is sort of at the, at the end of the story. Jesus has had his last meal uh, with his disciples. He knows that, that his trial and his crucifixion are, are coming, and so he's kind of giving them this sort of one last pep talk about how they're supposed to, to carry on. Um, so this starts right at the beginning of John chapter 15, with, with 15 verse 1. Jesus says to his disciples, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So, three images we have here. A field that's growing crops. A spring welling up, a vine producing fruit. Crops, spring, vine. What do these have in common? Well, first, all three of these images are, are organic and active. In all three of them, there's this sense of life that flows outward and upward. The grain shoots up out of the seed and pushes through the soil. The spring wells up from deep underground and overflows onto the surface of the earth. The life-giving nutrients flow through the vine, out into the branches, and then burst outward in these clusters of ripe and delicious fruit. Second, so first, all three are organic and active. Second, all three of these images emphasize the importance of connection to a source. They emphasize the importance of connection to a source. If I'm the farmer in that first story, I could have a perfect field. I could plow it. Uh, I, I could go through and build an irrigation system. I could pile that field with some really excellent manure and fertilizer. It could be just totally ready to go, as fertile as can be. But you know what? 
until I put some seed in that field, it's not going to grow anything. Without the seed, all I really have is a, is a plot full of dirt. Looking at the second story, and thinking about wells and springs, you know, I could go around, I could go out in the country here, um, and, I, and I could dig some really big holes in the ground. I could drill way down, and I could build uh, a really well-constructed well shaft, and I could create a, a, an excellently engineered uh, rig that would go down and, and draw up water. But you know what? Unless my well is connected to a source, unless it's connected to it's reaching down into some kind of underground aquifer or reservoir, I'm not going to get any water. All I'm really going to have is a hole. And finally, thinking about the third story, I could have a collection of, of hundreds of really uh, beautiful, excellent branches, but you know, if I cut those branches off from the vine, all I really have now is a bunch of sticks. So first, all three of these images are organic and active. Second, all three of these images emphasize how essential it is to be connected to a source. And, and third, and I think this is most important, in all three of these metaphors, Jesus is showing us that when it comes to life in the Spirit, our effort is not what's important in this process. Let me say it again. When it comes to life in the Spirit, our effort is not what's important in this process. Let's go back to that, to that first story in Mark. Let's look at the story of the farmer and the seed. Um, it tells us that the farmer puts the seed in the soil, and then what does he do? Nothing. Jesus tells us that the farmer sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The farmer doesn't even understand the process that's going on here, and he doesn't have to. That natural organic connection between the seed and the soil produces fruit all on its own. It's not really about what the farmer is doing there. If we look closer at, at the second story, the story with the woman at the well, uh, when Jesus tells the woman, hey, I could give you living water, she immediately responds by saying, sir, you have nothing to draw with, and this well over here is really deep. How are you going to get that water? See, the woman is focused on human effort. She's focused on the process that she knows she has to go through day after day, coming to this well, lowering down a, a basket or a, or a bucket to draw the water up from deep under the ground. She's focused on human effort, but Jesus flips that image around. Instead of a well, he talks about a spring. He says, I'm just going to give you this living water, and it's going to become in you a spring of water welling up. There's a big difference between springs and wells. See, for a well, we have to reach way down into the earth to get access to the water. But with a spring, the water just shoots up on its own. You don't have to do any work to go about getting water from a spring. And then thinking about the vine and the branches, the third story. Jesus says, I am the vine you are the branches. And the thing about branches in, in the process of growing fruit, the thing about branches is they don't really do anything, right? Branches can't make fruit grow 
by, by like trying harder. All the branches have to do is stay connected to the vine. Then the fruit bearing happens on its own. So in all three of these stories, the life and the change and the fruit bearing depends not on the conduit, not on, on the farmer or the well or the branches, but on the source. And if each of these images is really a metaphor uh, for how life in the spirit works, and I think what Jesus is trying to teach us here is that it's really not about what we do. It's all about what God does. This is a theme we see a lot with Jesus. Over and over again throughout the Gospels, Jesus flips on its head our idea that religion and spirituality are a matter of doing the right things, of keeping the right laws, of praying the right way. We seem to have this idea as human beings that if we, if we work a little bit harder or dig a little bit deeper or climb a little bit higher, then we'll get to where we're supposed to be. Then we'll get to God. But Jesus says to us, that's not the way it works. Jesus says, come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and you will find rest for your souls. See, according to Jesus, life in the Spirit is not a matter of keeping the law but of being in love. It is not a matter of striving, but of surrender. It is not a matter of angst over whether we're doing enough, sacrificing enough, changing enough. Rather, it is a matter of asking, Father, show me what's next. So Jesus paints these three powerful images with his words. Life in the Spirit, he tells us, is like a bunch of seeds that sprout and grow on their own. It's like a spring that wells up from within. It's like the quiet, intimate union between a vine and its branches. Life in the Spirit is organic. It is active. It's about connection. And it's not about what we do. It's all about what God does. Now, that being said, I feel like the the point of the sermon at at, at that point could be sit back and, and don't do anything and God will take care of of all of it. But I don't think that's exactly what Jesus is, is trying to say. I don't think his invitation to rest is just an invitation uh, to, to laziness. I think that we do still have a role in this process, but I think it's important that we shift our mindset about that role. Our role is not really to produce anything on our own. Our role is to receive. Life flows from God. It's already and always flowing. Our job is to be open to receiving it. And transformation and fruit flows out of that. So looking, looking closer at these three stories and then thinking about Jesus' teaching in, in other places in the New Testament, I think that Jesus would tell us that our role uh, in receiving involved three things. I think that Jesus would say our job in life with the Spirit is to ask, to wait, and to abide. Ask, wait, and abide. Notice that all three of those are a lot more about receiving than they are about doing. So let's, let's talk first about ask. Um, last week was Father's Day, and, uh, and Matt looked with us at this passage uh, in Luke where Jesus is talking about God as a father. And I want to go back and look at that scripture. It's in Luke chapter 11, uh, verse 11. Jesus is speaking to the people around him, and he says, uh, What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, 
will instead of a fish, give him a serpent. Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? I think that uh, for all this weird talk about like scorpions and, and serpents, I think that the point Jesus is trying to make here is that in the same way we want to give food to our children, right? Of course we're going to give food to our children. In that same way we want that, God wants to give us the Holy Spirit. God wants to give it. He's just waiting for us to ask. And this asking seems to be a really important part of of. of process to God. Um, in the story about the well and the spring with, with, with the woman there, we see Jesus saying to the woman, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that you're talking to, you would have asked me and I would have given you living water. I think that asking is, is important to this process because asking opens us up to receiving. It makes us ready for what God wants to give. Uh, a little while ago, I was kind of struggling with figuring out direction for my life. And I was talking to Matt, and he, he challenged me and said, David, I think you need to move from a place of angst to a place of asking. And that's something I've come back to over and over. Instead of worrying about whether I'm growing enough, instead of worrying about where I'm going, can I just stop and ask? See, asking involves trust, right? Asking involves trust that God is ready and willing to give. Are we asking for the Spirit? Are we really asking for the Spirit? We, we talk about uh, having this feeling as a church that God is calling us into a, a deeper place, but are we really hungry and thirsty and asking for more of God? So first, I think Jesus would tell us life in the Spirit involves asking. Second, I think he would tell us that life in the Spirit involves waiting. Now, wait is a word a lot of us don't really like. Um, I have a 13-month-old son, and he is just beginning to get a sense of that word wait because he hears it a lot uh, from, from my, myself and his mom. Uh, and let me tell you, he does not like that word. It does not make him happy when he's sitting in his high chair uh, and we're getting food for him and we say, wait. A lot of us don't like the word wait, but for some reason, waiting seems to be important to Jesus. Uh, the very beginning of Acts, just after Jesus has, has wrapped up his, his ministry here on earth and he has, he has died and come back from the dead, and just before he is about to ascend into heaven, uh, Jesus is gathered with his disciples uh, this is in Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. He's, he's gathered with his, his disciples, and just before he's about to leave, his last command to them, it says, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. When Jesus starts talking about the Holy Spirit, he also starts talking about waiting. We see waiting in that first story that we talked about today as well. Uh, the farmer, he puts the seed in the soil, but those crops, they don't come up overnight, right? Crops don't grow over days or over weeks. They grow over seasons. 
Maybe it's like that with the Spirit, too. Just as you can't really see a plant growing if you're sitting there staring at it, maybe we don't always see the results of the Spirit's work clearly at first. Maybe part of the process is learning to trust God, that transformation and fruit bearing are happening even if we don't quite notice it. So first, I think Jesus would tell us to ask. Second, I think he would tell us to wait. Third, he would tell us to abide. Let's go back to, uh, to John chapter 15, back to the story about the vine and the branches. I want to look here at starting at verse 4. Jesus says to his disciples, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So we heard that word abide like five times in those three or four verses. And throughout the larger passage, Jesus uses it about ten times. So clearly this word matters to Jesus, but what does it really mean? Well, the word abide has this sense uh, of remaining, of staying, of connecting. The word abide is related to the word abode, like a place where you live. And so in that sense, when Jesus says, abide in me, what he's really saying is that we need to make our home in him. And the crazy thing is that this seems to be a two-way street, right? Jesus says, abide in me and I in you. Make your home in me and I'll make my home in you. Isn't that kind of a beautiful image? Jesus lives in us and we live in him. Um, a spiritual mentor of mine once told me that the deepest truth about my identity as a Christian is that God already dwells within me. At, at the center of my being, God is there. It's not something that I have to work for. My job is just to settle back into it, to, to feel the reality of that. I need to remind myself daily that in God I live and move and have my being. I need to open myself up to an awareness of that presence. That's what I think it means to abide. That sort of daily reminding of myself that God lives in me and I live in him. What gets in the way of our abiding? If you're like me, uh, you probably find it hard to just pay attention long enough to open yourself up to God. It's hard to make space and quiet and get away from all the clutter and the chatter enough to really be open and listening to God. And if I'm being really honest here, there's a way in which even though abiding in God's love should be the easiest thing and would be the best thing for me, there's a way in which it's the last thing sometimes I feel like doing. It is so much easier to give my attention to a cell phone or a work email or a news feed than it is to turn my attention to the depths of my inmost being. But God stands there in love, ready and waiting. He wants to give the spirit. He wants to be in union with us like a vine is in union with its branches. Jesus stands at the door of our hearts knocking. In fact, Jesus has already moved in. He has made his home in us. 
are we ready to make our home in him? Life in the Spirit is not about what we do. It's all about what God does. Our role is not to produce anything on our own, but our role is to receive, to ask, to wait, to abide. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would spark a desire in us, a longing for you. I pray that you would spark this desire and that it would grow into a wildfire, a fire that consumes all of who we are, that burns brightly enough for this entire town to see. God, I pray that you would make us thirsty for you. In one of the Psalms, the writer talks about how as the deer pants for the water, so our souls pant for you. I pray that you would make us thirsty like that, that your presence would be just as essential to us as water. God, we want to want you. We want to be in connection with you. Help us to want you more. Our desire is far too small for how big you are. Help our desire to grow. Make our desire a stronger thing. God, you are here at the center of who we are. You want to be at home in us, and you want us to be at home in you. Open us up to a new awareness of you living and moving and dwelling within us. God, thank you for loving us like you do. Thank you for your grace. Thank you that it is not about what we do. And thank you for all that you already have done, that you already are doing, and that you will continue to do. Be here in this place. Bless this church. May your kingdom flow out of this theater like a river flowing out into the desert. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.